a listener production. Hey, it's Rusty here, all set for part two of my podcast with Fabian Coulthard. The supercars driver is kindly going to take some of your questions here, so thank you to those who got in touch. That's coming up a little bit later. Now, if you haven't already heard part one, jump back to the garage library and give it a run. From the early years in a cart in a car park to winning the Alan Jones Trophy at Albert Park and heading overseas to be teammate to Lewis Hamilton and his first taste of supercars thanks to Larry Perkins. We begin part two with a significant chapter that helped shape him as a driver in many ways with Kim and Brad Jones in Albury. Brad and Kim were always there and available, you know, when you needed to speak to them about anything. Um, and they really set my career up. You know, it, was, it got to a point where, you know, we, Car of the Future came along. That was, um, you know, the big turning point for my career. And, uh, and what, you know, eventually, you know, got me to, to drive for, you know, icons of motorsport being Roger Penske. So I enjoyed uh, my time at Brad's and, you know, I was very fortunate for, you know, everything he could teach me, but also, you know, the equipment that he gave me to drive, to race, it was always prepared perfectly. And the people, mate, too, isn't it? They were. And obviously being um, where the team's based on the New South Wales-Victorian border, you don't go to Albury just to go to Albury. One good thing about that team was because it was so far from anywhere else, if you could recruit someone, they would stay. Mm. You know, there was no one else that could just poach them. Everyone out there either in Brisbane or they're in Melbourne, you know. So I had a great relationship with Phil Keed, my engineer. You know, we butted heads a little bit at times, you know, just because we both wanted to perform. But Brad was a really good mediator. You know, he was the mm. person that could say, look, Fabian, you need to pull your head in. And, you know, I respect Brad for, for saying that at times and you know, I probably didn't want to hear it, but I needed to be told it. He sculpted me into the person um, that I was in, in that time at Brad Jones. And, you know, at times I would fly off the handle, you know, because I knew I could be better and I wasn't able to for whatever reason. I don't know what it was at the time, but I just couldn't be where I wanted to be at that point. And, um, you know, Brad was that person that was like, yeah, it'll happen, you know, just don't put too much pressure on yourself and, um, yeah, that's something I'll never forget. So what did that win mean when you finally were able to, to do it? Oh, I think um, I got asked about this on a supercars thing and I'd actually forgotten about my first win and I think it was because my brains flushed it out because there was that controversy over the safety car restart and I didn't really get to enjoy that moment as much as I would like of because it was then in a hearing afterwards. So I could never really celebrate, yes, yes, you know, like I've just won my first mm. race because the, it needed to then go on afterwards to, um, to be decided, you know, if I had one or I hadn't won. Why it wasn't probably as emotional or something that I was really pumped about or why I'd forgotten about it because um, it was always overshadowed by the, uh, the restart. But I think my best time and the thing that stands out to me the most at Brad Jones Racing was probably any time we're in the shootout, definitely when you're on the podium, those guys chair 
better than any other team I've been at. You know, they are very passionate. You know, when when I win, you know, you feel it right through the team. You know, the morale, the hotel hangouts that we used to do after races or at night and things like that. You know, they're the fun things that I really remember. But my best weekend that springs to mind for me was um, Austin. You know, we went there, we got the pole there for the, for the first race and, um, you know, we were on the podium every race and, you know, that was just a cool weekend. And, you know, that's mm. um, definitely one that uh, one of the highlights for me was definitely that weekend. Fans often ask when we're doing the podcast, Fabs, about the car, the race car, right? So, I mean, uh, there's been the natural Holden v Ford rivalry over time. You've driven both Commodore, you've driven Mustang and Falcon. Is there one that you have this little affinity with? Could be any team from your time, your your entire career. But is there one and, and and a place and space where you just felt totally at one with it? What is that car and where? I really loved um, the car at Brad Jones Racing that I nicknamed Tallulah. Where did that come from? Where does that nickname? My <laughs> favourite movie uh, is called Runnings and they yes. called the Jamaican bobsled was called Tallulah. I was like, yeah, that's cool. We're going to rock that. And then the sign guy, um, Brad, came up with this uh, name and then it had the little picture of the bobsled next to it in Jamaican colours and that was probably, you know, my favourite car that I've, I've driven, um, you know, car of the future car. I had a lot of success in that car. Um, but you know, the, the people and things like that at that team were, you know, really cool and I, and I really enjoyed it, but it's hard to, you know, definitely pinpoint that that's my favorite, but that's the one that springs out to me the most, the, the most recent one is obviously, uh, the first championship win for Roger Penske and, and DJR team Penske here in Australia at, at, uh, um, Tasmania. So that was cool. Um, Scotty w- was finished second, so it was the first one-two for the team. But then also to have Dick Johnson on the podium as well, you know, that's sort of a, one of those iconic moments that um, you'll never be able to take away from me, but also one that's, you know, pretty special to uh, say you won the first race for, I guess, the first of the rebrand in a championship sense. That is very cool, mate. I'm glad that you've you've um, brought that back and, and freshened our minds. In my second stint with supercars with the broadcast team, there is a, a flashpoint. Gold Coast 2016 and an incident with, with Garth Tander. It's on the internet. We don't need to, to relive it necessarily. But the fallout from this, mate, was a, a massive cesspit of social media hate. We all all called for calm on it. And those pleas, thankfully, got a bit of, bit of traction. Was that the first time for you that, that perhaps, that, that, you know, you'd, you'd felt that, seen that, and how did that impact you? And, and this is a long question, apologies, but, but I sense now, mate, that you still do social media, but I sense you switch off. You do it, you post, and then that's, that's it. Is that true also? Um, yeah, definitely. I, I do switch off. It's... Um... Social media has given people a voice that wouldn't necessarily had a voice in the past. So quite happy to hide behind their keyboard and write what they want, but they're also the next people queuing up at an autograph session for an autograph. So it's kind of a little bit um, mixed up, but, you know, for me, I've come to accept that, you know, you're not always going to have, you know, the same people on your team. They don't always side with you. They don't always agree with you, but it's a part, it's part of our sport. There's always going to be, you know, those people that are going to comment and, and have their two cents worth. Um, yeah, would I like it to be better? Would I like it to be cleaned up more and and people to have a bit more respect? 
Um, yes, 100%. You watch anyone um, that does any sport that's good at what they do, they make it look easy. I can guarantee you, you put any one of these people that complain about our sport or what we do as drivers or you know, what you're trying to achieve and thinking and split-second decisions, mate, they'll be half throttle. They'll be too scared to put it all the way to the floor because that's just the way they are. They're just not used to what we do. And you watch someone that's good at something and they, they make it look easy, it's not easy. And I speak for first to 25th on the grid in any form of motorsport. It's not an easy sport. It doesn't, um, it doesn't look as easy it is, as, as it is when you watch it on TV and have a think about you know, what you're going to write and what you're going to say. Is it valid? Is it constructive? Do you think it's put yourself in those person's shoes? Is it actually going to be a, a good thing or am I just going to look like an idiot? If there's someone out there that wants to say something, I'm quite happy just to comment and let my fans deal with it. It's, it's part of our sport, you know what I mean? Like I said, I don't think we'll get rid of it completely, but it's just the way it is. Hmm. I'm a huge believer, mate, that, that you know, it. we want fans to wear those colours with pride. We want you to staunchly support your favourite team or driver. No drama with that a- at all, but just be... Uh, constructive and, and and fair in that in that viewpoint, and just be respectful of others. It's very real, simple, real, real simple. And and um, you know, if you wouldn't be that way, the bulk of us wouldn't be that way face to face. So don't don't do it on social media. Anyway, let's 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 move on. When we first talked about the notion of you coming on Rusty's Garage, which I'm chuffed that we've been able to do, mate, um, it was back in May 2019. You and I were driving around in a Mustang on the Gold Coast for a bit of bit of content with Dunlop back then, the Supercast tire supplier. We talked about a number of things, and and one of those things was that you would love dearly of love to sort of see out your your professional career in in that sense with with Penske. Now I know that didn't happen. You're doing some good things with Team Sydney now, which we'll cover in a second. But I wanted to get a sense from your side of things about about you know the great times that you had at, at Team Penske and and just how you compartmentalise that chapter of your career now. Oh, I'm very fortunate to be you know there through that period of time. You know they were struggling to be in the top 15 when I got there and came top 10 runners and top 10 runners and then become race winners. So I feel like I've played my part, done my, done my bit to, you know, to build that team and to, to create it with Scott to, to what it is today. And, um, yeah, I would have loved to have, uh, you know, ended my career, you know, driving for Roger, but I also said that I would also rather Roger left the series than be replaced for me. That was probably, you know, the best case scenario. You know, um, you got to think, you know, back in back in the day that, um, you know, Roger saw something in me. He he signed me to to drive one of his cars, and I actually sat down to him, sat down with Roger after I'd driven for him, you know, for you know six months or something. And it had come, I think it was in Perth. We went out for dinner with uh, Tim Sendrick, Roger, you know, and a few other guys from um, from Penske and. I said, "What was what was it? You know, why why me? Out of everybody that you could have chose, why why me?" And uh, both him and TC said it was a race they watched at Perth when I got uh, we were qualifying and the re- the red flag came out, but I actually got out of the gravel, so that red flagged me. So that meant that I lost my time and my time was disallowed. Um, so I started last. And I finished fourth. And they said, the way you handled yourself, the way you come back through the field, um, there was minimal fuss and you just got on, you did your job. Uh, they said that was, the, um, that was the time for them to, uh, 
to make a decision on who they want. And, you know, that was, that was me. So yeah, I was, you know, I was blown away to get the phone call. You know, you get the, the, the phone rings and it's an American number and you pick up the phone and like, g'day Fabian, it's Roger Penske here and his, his distinct uh, American accent. And, you know, it's a very, it's a real pinch yourself moment. You know, not many people can say they've won races for Roger. You know, I'm proud to say that I've, I've done that. You know, we've won championships for Roger as well. So look, you know, who knows? We may cross paths again. Um, I used to, I, I used, I remember sitting down with Roger and saying, uh, "You might not remember, but I met Roger at the Porsche Motorsports Award dinner back in 2005, when the winner of the Carrera Cup Championship um, went over to Stuttgart in Germany to the to the end of year motorsports party, and that's when they did the announcement for the sports car program. Um, you know, the the Spider, the DHL Spider, and that's where I met Roger for the first time, and um, yeah, pretty amazing how your paths cross and, um, you know, I end up driving for him because back then I can assure you, I never thought I'd be driving for Roger Penske and, you know, it's pretty satisfying and I'm, pr- I'm pretty proud to say that I have. Well done. You're with Team Sydney now. Um, one of the listeners to the podcast, Nick Perkins on on Facebook, has said, um, "What is there some stuff that's perhaps carried over to the framework? Maybe you've brought it with you from an you know a, an idea or an organisational sense from your chapter at DJR Team Penske and uh, similarities and differences." Um, very different from where I've been. Um, like any good business, it's about the people. Um, you know, so a big part of my decision was the fact that Jeff Slater. Um, rejoined the team from his uh, spell in America with BMW. So we're in a building phase. You know what I mean? There's no there's no uh, secrets about that. So yeah, like I say, any good business is about the people and and employing the right people that can do their job and and execute in in a way that we can then perform and and move forward. So there's no surprise. You know where I was was uh, you know the pinnacle of supercars racing, and then I've gone to the other end where you know they struggled to. Um, to be second to last on the, on the grid. So I knew what I was getting myself into, but, you know, it was time to, I guess, get a re-motivated, have a, have, well, I wouldn't say re-motivated is probably the wrong word, uh, a fresh start. The announcement of um, Penske leaving um, supercars was, you know, after Bathurst, you know, so it didn't leave me a lot of option to go out there and say, look, my service or services are, are available. So me and Jono have been friends for years. Uh, we used to race Carrera Cup together. Um, and we remain remain contact, and you know we caught up um, in lockdown over a beer and a pizza in uh, in Casarina or or wherever it was down um, down the line and top in the border of New South Wales. And if we can come to agreement, let's do it. And and here we are. A couple more from fans, if you don't mind, mate. Dan Boyle via Facebook says, "Could you have asked your second cousin, F1 driver David Coulthard, for?" some help maybe to have extended that that chapter um, abroad. I mean, I know you've had a little bit of dialogue, but it, it's not super close contact, is it? That's probably the key thing, point to make here. Yeah, 100%. Um, I met David uh, at the Grand Prix when I was racing Formula Ford there. You know, we had a, uh, a quick catch-up. You know, he gave me his phone number and thing like, things like that. But uh, it's not something I ever wanted to draw upon. You know, for me, I wanted to be known for Fabian, not live through David and 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 make it on my own. So yeah, never really reached out. You know, now and again, David comes back to the Grand Prix. I think you've worked with him, Rusty, at Channel Ten, mm. and um, you know, enough to say good day. But it's not like you know we're invited to Christmas dinner or anything like that. 
Yep. A couple of left of field ones. Philip Walters says, have you ever tried Speedway? Now, I can't imagine the bloke I'm talking to now who has hair more perfect than mine, you know, <laughs> would, you, would you have ever tried Speedway? Is that, is that a bit of you? Um, I've had plenty of offers. You know, I was a mad Speedway fan growing up in New Zealand. You know, every Saturday night we'd go to Western Springs and, you know, you're a racer, so you, you appreciate anyone good at what they do and, and watch them do their craft. And, you know, I was always a big fan of Speedway. I never really got the bug. Given some opportunities to, to drive a sprint car, they looked pretty angry. Like they look like a lot of fun, but I think it's it's a totally different skill set to to what I'm used to. Hope you get a chance to tick that box, mate, even if it is just for a bit of fun. Um, resto projects. We've covered the loft. What about this BMX bike you have been sharing recently? What is it? Where did this come from? And uh, what was the sort of inspiration for what you've ended up with? Tell us more. You know, I had a BMX like every kid had when they were younger, but I never had a BMX with the tough wheels. And I was like, well, I'm at the point now where I can make one. So I found um, a 1982 frame, um, which is the same birth year as me. What, what are we talking, eBay or where did you find this thing? I found it on Facebook Marketplace, I think. So I, I, I went down the path and I, I bought that and I was like, well, I want to restore it. And the thing significant about this is it's a Skyway frame, but the frame is the same shape as like Formula Ford wishbone tubing. So it's like totally aerodynamic is the is the um, slogan for the frame. And for me, that was cool. You know, it, it resonated with me with um, racing and aerodynamics and stuff like that. And I was like, well, I'm going to restore this to as best I can to period correct parts. So there's still a few things that I need to find to make it period correct. But um, everything I've been able to find uh, at the moment is, um, is Mickey Mouse. There's a Skyway appreciation page on Facebook, which I'm, I'm a fan of. And, you know, I posted up there and I says, look, Long-time viewer, first-time poster, here's my bike. This is what I've done. And, you know, from all the enthusiasts that, you know, are well into Skyways, they're like, mate, you've been paying attention. This thing's nine, nine and a half out of ten. So I'm pretty happy. It's going to be, you know, a bit of a commuter, I guess. They'll chase the kids around um, on their scooters for a little bit. But I've got the approval at home from Beck that I can actually hang it on the wall as a bit of art. I've been in contact with Kurt Kostecki. He's a bit of a wizard with, uh, you know, folding up aluminium and making things flash. And we've come up with a bit of a process to hang it through the pedal. So it will stand off the wall so the handlebars can still be straight and, and have, be a bit of a centrepiece. So, um, yeah, it's what am I going to do next is probably more to the point. <laughs> Great stuff. Well, that leads us to people asking about any car restos. And if there's not, is there a wish car? Is there a, a car you'd love to have a crack at one day? If I could dedicate the time and things like that, you know, maybe I'd like to get one of my Formula Fords back, but yep. there's not a huge desire for it. You know, it takes up a lot of space in your garage. And at the moment, I'm not in a position to take up the garage. I've got, got to put the Volvo somewhere. So um, yeah. that's going to, uh, that's got its pride of place at the moment. That's because you're a proud dad. Twins. Jeff Hurl on Facebook is asking, can you imagine life without those beautiful kids? And before they came along for you and Becky, did you imagine life with kids? Yeah, I always want to become a father. So um, I said if I had, I'd had kids by 34, I'd be happy. And I was, I think, 35 and a, 35 when they were born. So, you know, that met my criteria of becoming a dad. You kind of have to be a little bit selfish in a way. Um, racing is very one way. Not saying that I'm not any less focused, but I feel like I'm at the point of my career where I can, um, you know, be able to do both. 
Whereas in your younger days, your focus is to win every single time. My focus remains still to win every single time, but I can still have the capacity, I guess, to be able to entertain that there's kids there as well and a fiance being back that I can, you know, manage. I guess in my younger days, I wouldn't have been able to manage all that. So um, kids are perfect, you know, love them both dearly. You know, Mackenzie and Carter, they're the best thing that's happened to both Beck and I. We're at a friend's place yesterday, um, toasty marshmallows around the fire, and Mackenzie came out. She goes, unprovoked, Daddy, you know that I love you? And like, mate, that stuff just just makes your heart melt. I kind of wish that I'd done it sooner, but um, the selfish me said no. Why did Fabian's bike fall off the wall? It was too tired. Ha ha ha. Ha. Funny GPS. Paul Picard via Instagram. Coffee beans. Which ones do you use? And that leads me to, are you a trained barista? You are pretty handy when it comes to making a good coffee, aren't you? I haven't had a lesson, um, but I've done a lot of research on YouTube about, you know, grind and all the variables and things like that. And I love my coffee, and since the twins were born, all of a sudden you'll be able to appreciate that you don't have the time to go to a coffee shop and just have a coffee or a breakfast. So I said to Beck, let's bring the coffee to us. I said, I'm going to buy a great machine and we're going to have cafe-quality coffee at home and I'm going to learn how to do it. And you know, every morning it's become a ritual of mine to get up, make coffee. It's the first thing I do. I enjoy it. You know, I'm working on my latte art. That's getting better, but it's really an art. <laughs> But yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm self-taught. So I weigh my coffee grinds. I've got a distribution tool that makes the coffee flat before you tamp it. That's another variable that you take out of it. Um, I time my coffee shot, you know, and things like that and weigh my grind. So you get it as repeatable as you can every time. And um, it's a science, but um, I'm still learning. I'm still improving um, my coffee. I ask Beck quite often, oh, what do you think about this? Do you like that grind setting? What about that temperature change? She's like, it's all good, so just keep doing what you're doing. Oh, I love it. I love the detail in it too, mate, and that you're enjoying that uh, that process. few more to finish if we can. Uh, firstly, was it difficult to leave Brad Jones Racing when that great opportunity sort of kind of came along? It was, um, but it's all about opportunity and, you know, you don't get that opportunity every day. That opportunity doesn't come a- a- along and, you know, it was, it was hard for Brad. You know, I think Brad thought that, you know, this was a deal that was done you know, a long time before I actually told Brad, but, you know, I I swear to this day that it wasn't. It's taken a while for both Brad and I to get back onto good terms, but I feel like now, you know, a lot of water's passed under the bridge since then and, you know, we're back at a point where our relationship's probably as good as what it was um, when I was driving for Brad. What about proudest moment in supercars, the thing that the trophy, the moment that stands out the most? Maybe it was Tasmania, maybe it was standing on the Bathurst podium, who knows? Uh, or, um, you know, not a, not a regret per se, but maybe maybe something that you look back on and think, ah, oh, you know, I wish I had, maybe it was in what you were talking about with Brad Jones before in the way you tackled something, had, had done it in a different way. Um, I think any time you have success and no matter what team it is, um, you know, as a racing driver, you go to, you wake up every morning to win and, um, I think winning is what keeps the motivation, keeps the drive in a driver. Um, you know, as a racing driver, you you do more losing than you do winning. Um, so, yeah, that feeling and that 
that that sense of achievement you get when you win a race is it's pretty hard to describe and i think that's mm. what keeps me coming back so um it would definitely be winning all right ryan mcgregor from gisborne in new zealand on facebook says just the challenge of a teammate um and i, I mean it could be any teammate but I mean, he's he's referenced scotty mclaughlin here and how that sort of shaped you working with someone like that i would have had a lot more race wins and poles if scott wasn't there <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we we finished one two um quite often, you know, qualified on the front row quite often. Um, but you know, it was just you know, he was at a, a a bit like what Shane's going through at the moment, you know, they mm. they were at the top of their game and and performing under unbelievably week in week out and you know, that's something that's hard to do. And I'm kind of a little bit disappointed that no one will else will get compared to Scott like I got compared to Scott because I think you could put anyone in my position and it would have been the same result. So, um, yeah, he was at the peak of his powers. But, you know, we had a great relationship, you know, a good working relationship where we uh, we understood our role and, you know, what our job was within the race team. And you know, a famous saying was when the team wins, we win. So um, you know, that's what mm. we stood by. Good. Final one on that sort of train of thought. Dean Ranford from Hastings in New Zealand asked via Facebook as well. Um, just around that whole notion of that story on on equality that came out in, in July this year. Are you and Scotty getting on okay? And, and um, you know, uh, do you feel that it was a level playing field when you when you shared the garage, you guys? I think that got taken out of context. Um, I'm glad you bring that up because I wanted to know if that was the case. So, yeah. I think it was all taken out of context more than anything and it was a storm in a teacup, so to speak. So, yeah, it's been it's an article that's been written. I don't need to comment any further about it. Almost twenty years in the supercars paddock. Have you stopped to ponder that? Well, that is remarkable. I know you're not there. I know you're not there yet. I'm not meaning. To, I'm not making you sound old, mate. But I just I just think that's when you when you ponder the kid that grew up in in Auckland with the dream to go and race cars. To think that you could be in the premier form of touring car racing in this part of the world for nearly that period of time. That's mighty, don't you think? I think when I feel old is when I watch back on Foxtel and I'm on Supercars Classic. <laughs> Mate, I'm on there all the time, so you've got nothing to worry about. So. I think that's the moment where I'm like, Jesus, I've been in, I've been in this sport for a long time. Yeah, That's been great and I enjoy it and I, uh, I hope, still hope there's a, a few years left in me. So, um, yeah, it's really amazing when, you know, some of those stats come out, you know, like it's my 450th round or things like that. That's not something that I keep track of. But when you sit back and reflect on it and think about it, it's like, yeah, I've been in this sport a long time. And, you know, I've grown, you know, through the generations, um, you know, through the different model of cars, um, you know, Gen 3, things like that. Hopefully I'm, I'm going to be there for that, depending on when that uh, kicks off, hopefully the middle of next year. Um, car of the future, you know, I've done all that transition as well. So, yeah, it's cool. Final question for you. What's on the bucket or wish list for you? Is there a... I want to go and do some sports car racing somewhere. Is there a little event somewhere that you'd love to to say, yeah, I, I definitely want to tick that. That's that's not done yet for me. Yeah, I'd love to do some uh, endurance racing. You know, you know, Spa twenty four hour, Daytona twenty four hour. You know, the the more prestigious events, Le Mans twenty four hour. I think all those, you know, marquee events around the world. That's definitely something that Fabian wants to go and do one day. And you know, who knows? There may be an opportunity sooner rather than later. But um, you know, while I'm racing supercars, obviously that's the focus and it needs to fit in within that calendar um, and things like that. But, uh, yeah, they would be some real cool events to be able to go and do and enjoy and, and you know, hopefully have some success at. 
Mate, it's been fabulous to catch up. Thank you very much for, for spending the time, for answering some listener questions. Congratulations on everything so far and, and keep enjoying. That's the most important thing. Yeah, mate, fantastic. I like that pun as well. Fabulous. Good. <laughs> Rusty's Garage is written and presented by me, Greg Rust. Series producer and editor is Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.